2: Thank you very much. Welcome, everybody, to Overtime. I'm Scott Waterley. You just heard the bells. We are just getting started here at Post 9 at the New York Stock Exchange. Affirm and gap earnings, they are imminent, both, of course, giving us a good read into the strength of the consumer. We're going to bring you those numbers when they cross the stock moves that always follow. In just a few minutes, I'll speak live to top technician Jonathan Krinsky on the critical levels in the market. He is watching we do begin, though, with our talk of the tape, prepping for Powell, what stocks are likely to do no matter what the Fed chair says tomorrow in his highly anticipated speech at Jackson Hole. Let's ask Gabriela Santos. She is J.P. Morgan Asset Management's global market strategist. Welcome back. It's nice to see you.
3: Nice to see you. So a
2: nice move today ahead of Powell. Is this a sign that the markets and the Fed are in line with one another? At least the market thinks it is.
3: <laughs> I think we've had really low volume today and yesterday. Everyone just watching out for that big event risk tomorrow at 10 a.m. with Powell's speech. But we are much better set up going into it than we were just eight days ago. We have real yields up 40 basis points, the two year near the mid-June highs, and we have stocks off 4%. So much better position. I think we're likely to see a relief tomorrow unless we get a big shock from what Powell says. But one thing I would keep an eye out on if we look to next week and into the fall is that the move index or implied bond volatility is still Mm -hmm. very, very high for where it normally is in late August, suggesting that actually we're likely to continue seeing a lot of action in the yield curve, which could affect stock markets in the fall.
2: Because it all depends really on where inflation goes and what the Fed is ultimately going to do. You mentioned Powell. Tomorrow, a lot of Fed speakers today are Steve Leisman, who's going to join us in a little bit, interviewing many uh, Fed heads today, if you want to call them that. Here's what Bullard said about inflation expectations, because I want your uh, reaction to it on the other side. Here's Bullard.
4: A baseline would be that probably inflation will be more persistent than what many on Wall Street expect, And that's going to be higher for longer, and I think that's a a risk that's underpriced in markets today.
2: Yeah, how about that notion, um, you know, that that is a risk and it's not priced in or very much underpriced in the market. Do you feel that,
3: too? I very much agree with that sentiment. I don't think that we can have the confidence right now to be investing based on knowing exactly what the shape of inflation is going to look like ahead and what the shape of interest rates is going to look. I think there's still a big risk that we stay higher for longer, which is different than what the market is pricing it, in. In
1: both,
2: in both inflation and inflation and rates.
3: Exactly, in both of them, and that really we're at a turning point of a new regime where we have a slightly higher inflationary backdrop and a higher interest Mm. rate backdrop. That's better for fixed income investors if you think out the next three years, five years, ten years, but it's a tricky spot for stock investors if you think about the 14 percent multiple expansion we've seen since mid-June. It suggests stocks are still a bit expensive here.
2: You sent us a wish list of sorts for Jackson Hole, uh, things you'd like to have answered coming out of that. One of the things you said was an estimate of long-run inflation. Sounds fleeting, especially given what Bullard just said. They don't know.
3: I don't think any of us know, and I think we should all have tons of humility about inflation after so many upside surprises this year. But I do think that it's not just cyclical forces pushing up inflation. There have been some changes in structural forces, too. We've seen perhaps a peak in globalization. We've seen more power shift towards uh, labor. We've also seen these big energy shocks. So there is an argument to be made of slightly higher inflation over the next decade than the previous decade and hence higher rates for longer.
2: You also have on your list a clearer view of what neutral is, and this is center to the debate, right? What the Fed chair said at the presser last time was we're basically there. Others would suggest no way and not even close. Now we have this whole debate on what neutral actually is.
3: It would be great to have more of a discussion around what Fed members are thinking about in terms of the neutral rate, because I do think it would signal that there is very little visibility about it, that maybe we're not quite there yet, and hence that we will need higher interest rate this cycle just to be at neutral, never mind to actually be restrictive. But we'll have to see what discussion we get tomorrow. There's so much on the wish list I think Paul is likely to just stick to the script and and stick on mentioning that the focus is on fighting inflation for now And it'll depend on the data
2: sometimes sticking to the script has left the market confused (laughs) Uh, We'll have to see how what 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 comes of that 75 basis points is that in the market for September or not
3: so? At the moment, uh, 60% probab- probability of 75 basis points is priced in. So it's it's more priced in than it was just eight days ago. So much better setup uh, going into the speech tomorrow. But I think the issue is we just have no idea what inflation indicators they're looking at to make that decision of 50, 75, never mind what happens in November, December, 2023 and beyond. So my wish list also includes some c- clearer signals. Is it head- Line? Is it core inflation? Is it lagging indicators or leading? Is it just gasoline or what about natural gas prices surging? So there's a lot of uncertainty about the path of inflation and the reaction function to it.
2: You, you and everybody else want more clarity and you know what? So does the Fed chair and so do the members of the Fed. They, they want more clarity too. The fact is there's just nobody knows all that much because it's impossible to know. You say it's too late to sell and too early to add risk. So what does that leave us?
3: That leaves us ultimately if, if we are still a bit underweight risk, which we would consider to be an appropriate position, it's too early to start increasing exposure to equities, high yield, cyclical sectors, low quality companies. We're not there yet. We still need more visibility about the path of inflation rates. We need valuations to adapt to the new environment of higher for longer. And we also need earnings expectations to continue moving down a little bit further mm-hmm. before we can really get excited here.
2: All right, let's broaden the conversation, if we could, and bring in CNBC contributor Stephanie Link of Hightower Advisors, our own Steve Leisman, our senior economics reporter. He, of course, in Jackson Hole for that big event uh, today and tomorrow. And Steve, obviously, I'll come to you first. I played the soundbite for Bullard on these, you know, the risk uh, that inflation is higher for longer, but he also talked about what his target is for rates for for this year, let's listen and I'll get your reaction on the other side. Here's Bullard.
4: 375 to 4 okay. uh, is, is my target for this year, uh, oh. for the end of this year. And I like the front loading. I like, I like the idea that you get the rate increases in uh, earlier rather than later. We've got inflation right now. Uh, we've got a strong labor market right now. Uh, it seems like a good time to get to the right neighborhood for the funds rate.
2: All right, Steve. So that was Bullard. Uh, to you, did anything he say surprise you? It certainly didn't surprise the market, Dow finishing up more than 300.
5: Yeah, it, it did a little bit the Fed Funds futures market, uh, Scott. If you look at what happened, the, uh, the peak or the terminal rate, which we've been monitoring uh, now pegged in April of 2023, it went up about 10 basis points today. Now is about 380, and so did that uh, January uh, 2024 contract we're following as to how much the Fed comes down after that. So if you look at that chart, uh, you see that the market moved in a more hawkish direction. Uh, Paul McCulley, who listens to everything both I say and Fed officials say, sent me a fascinating note. And he said, this is really a debate in three dimensions. Let me give it to you. First is the terminal rate, where the Fed's going. The second is the pace that it gets there, how fast it gets there. And then the third dimension is how long it stays there. What I'm hearing from guys like uh, Patrick Harker today is he wants to get to a rate a little bit lower than where uh, Bullard is and wants to stay there for longer. Bullard has long had this idea that I think is worth considering. The faster the Fed gets there, the more that it does to combat inflation now the less it has to do on the back end of this. And I think that's one of the reasons he wants to go fast, and it has not been a bad bet to follow what Bullard is saying. He was the first guy to come forward with a need for 75. The Fed has now done that twice. So I like listening to Jim. I think he's uh, very outspoken about what he thinks. Um, Not so sure about next year. But he has like that three hundred seventy five to four percent range and probably holding there for a while, which again is countering what the market is priced in right now, Scott.
2: Yeah, I mentioned you everybody hold their, uh, hold their thoughts for just a moment. I did mention to you at the top of the program that we were waiting on a firm and gap earnings among a few others. Uh, a firm 's getting hammered. Uh, on these results, which we are currently going through. Our tech reporter, uh, Steve Kovac is going to come on in just a moment once he has a chance to go through the release. But at least take a look at what's happening with the stock, which is down nearly uh, 15%, a stock that was already down 70% year-to-date. So uh, we'll have that for you in just a second. So, Stephanie Link, um, I played the soundbite from Bullard earlier about this risk that inflation remains higher for longer and the market is underestimating or underappreciating, I think was the word he used, Uh, underpricing those risks. You're a market participant. Are you underestimating and underpricing that risk?
6: No. Um, Scott you know I've been talking about inflation and it's everywhere right it's not only rents and wages it's not natural gas at 14 year highs oil prices have stopped going down food prices are up 13 percent today we got the GDP deflator price deflator and actually that was up accelerated from the prior print of uh, it was at 8.9 percent so I, I I think they should front load number one they're behind the curve number two and number three I did think it was interesting that about Bullard's comment saying they might stay higher for longer. That I thought kind of got in there that maybe people, because people are starting to think, okay, they're going to be aggressive and then they're going to turn around and they're going to reverse and they're going to pivot. But he was saying maybe they have to stay uh, higher for longer. And the reason is because it's going to take a long time to get inflation under control. And we get core PCE number tomorrow. That's going to be fascinating.
2: Yeah, Gabriella, you're shaking your head uh, in agreement with what you're hearing from Stephanie Lee.
3: It's just such a hard pivot to say they'll finish hiking rates in December and start cutting in the first half of next year when we have uh, headline PCE tomorrow likely coming in three and a half times above the the Fed's target of 2% and taking us the better part through 2024 to get back to 2%. So I think we're underappreciating this idea of getting to higher rates and staying there and the effect that can can have odd uh, multiples on the cost of capital from here.
2: Steve, it does the notion seem a bit absurd uh, that the Fed is going to start cutting rates uh, early in 23, given everything that we've heard and those who are going out of their way to make sure we hear it.
5: Yeah. Hey, Scott, can I just do a nerdy correction on Gabriella, which is that the 2024 (laughs) forecast, Gabriella, doesn't even show the Fed getting back to 2%. I think they have 2.4 built in. And I know you're on or about right, but I just want to point out, I pointed that out to both of you guys, look, we'll take 2.4 if we get close enough, that would be a huge victory. But getting to your question, Scott, you're right. I mean, at the end of the day, uh, the Fed has much more work to do here. Um, and and it also told us today, we had a bunch of things like Esther George talk about the idea, yeah, some stuff's come down, cars, uh, hotels, but the broad inflation that's out there has not yet come down. And so... Uh, She wants to see, we got the first, uh, one of the answers to Gabriella's things she wants more clarity on. George told us she wants three months in a row of better inflation to start to feel confident that it is indeed coming down. So that's at least one metric we have out there that maybe would uh, uh, make Gabriella just a touch less anxious.
2: So the the statement you just made, Steve, um, the Fed has much more work to do here. Is is that going to be Powell's message? Would Would you game that out? Do you think that's going to be? the yeah. crux of the message tomorrow, that we do have much more work to be done here?
5: Yeah, Scott, can I call up a full screen from Powell last year where he said incoming data should provide more evidence that some of the supply-demand imbalances are improving and the more more evidence of a continued moderation of inflation if you'll note and you remember that was five percent cpi when he made that speech back in august it's now as you know top nine and came back down to eight and a half so i think he's going to be very careful not to show very much wiggle room between this idea of the fed hiking rates and going further and, and try to provide any ammunition to those out there look it's a really interesting thing i got a note from one market participant about this notion about the fed cutting next year and they and said this person said the Fed doesn't know yet what it's going to have to do next year, and that is to cut rates. So that's the kind yeah. of, I don't know what you call it, prescience or chutzpah, one or the other. There's some in between those two things. Part of the point
2: we made earlier, Stephanie, Stephanie is that the Fed doesn't know what it's going to have to do next week. Uh, because how could it? Right? You're going to get more inflation <laughs> right. data, and it's going to shape, in part, policy, which could make much of what has been said over the last couple of days moot. in in, in some respects. How, How do you see that?
6: Right. Well, look, I mean, I think we're in a trading range for that very reason. We rallied up 14% from the June lows because people thought that they pivoted. They didn't pivot. And then we got economic data that was actually not terrible, right? People were talking about earnings were going to collapse in June, and we were already in a recession. And the data that we've gotten since then actually has been pretty good, mainly jobs. Like, that's the bright spot, but retail sales, industrial production, capacity utilization doesn't point to a recession right this very moment. And so they are going to have to deal with this inflation picture, and they can, because we do have higher inflation, but we also have strong jobs. And so, you know, I don't think they know what they're going to do. Is it three and a half, four percent on the Fed funds by the end of the year? doesn't really matter, Scott because rates are going higher. And in that environment, you don't wanna own growth names and you don't wanna own long duration assets. You could own a few of them for sure, I do, but I think you wanna own pricing power stories. I'm loaded in energy materials, industrials are caught in a bid uh, as of late. And I've been recently adding to uh, some material names and some financial names, because I think those sectors until the end of the year are going to do better as the Fed has to deal with this impossible inflation.
2: Speaking of one growth name you definitely don't want to own at this very moment is Affirm. Uh, after those earnings, which Steve Kovac joins <laughs> us now, has some color on to why that stock is getting absolutely destroyed after hours. Yeah, that's right,
7: Scott. Down about 15 percent, it looks like. Uh, let's talk some mixed results here. Revenue is a beat, though. $364 million versus $354 million expected. Loss per share, a miss, worse than expected. 65 cents per share versus 63 cents expected. And then it's the guide that seems to be really hurting the stock here. Uh, this is their fiscal year 23 guide. Uh, for the full year, they're guiding to, uh, 1.62 billion. Analysts were looking for 1.9. And then for the Q1 guide, which we're in right now, um, up to 365 million. And analysts were looking to 386 million. And then some uh, on the consumer here, Here's something really interesting, a quote from CEO Max Levinson saying growth of online commerce is falling back to pre-COVID levels. So a little insight in the consumer there, too, Scott.
2: Yeah, we appreciate that, uh, which Gap is going to give us as well when it, uh, numbers, its numbers cross, excuse me, uh, which are imminent as well. Steve Kovac, thank you. Stephanie Link, how do you see this buy now, pay later space, which has become more crowded and is about to get even more so with Apple?
6: It's more crowded. Um, I think a firm is doing the right things, and they've partnered up with the right partners. GMV, gross merchandise value, up 77% year over year is very respectable and, and actually ahead of whisper. But if you don't have earnings, you and you don't, you, there's no way to value this thing. And you're right, it's a more competitive landscape. That's exactly the recipe of not owning a stock in, in a rising rate interest rate environment. Um, they are having their growing pains for sure. Uh, and I just think that there are better places to be owning. If you want to pay, like if you want to be involved in payments, for example, FinTech, for example, find the companies that are actually earning some something and growing those earnings.
2: Yeah, uh, Gap is out, uh, which I've been waiting for. Bertha Coombs has that. Uh, for us right now. Bertha, what do we see here for a stock that's had a multitude of problems over yeah. the last several months?
8: Yeah, you would think this is going to be the kitchen sink quarter as they try to transition to new leadership. Gap revenues coming in, though, ahead of expectations at $3.86 billion versus a street estimate of $3.82 billion on the top line. On the bottom line, the company reporting $0.08 adjusted. Pre- Profit. now the street was looking for a loss of five cents a share if you include a 13 cent per share impairment for inventory then that would be in line marges down eight and a half percentage points from a year ago impacted by higher freight costs higher discounting at Old Navy in particular and of course they bring in inflation CFO Katrina O'Connell uh, telling CNBC that the company faced some real execution challenges in the quarter and like other retailers they are trying to manage inventory and considering uncertain macro trends. They're going to take some actions to reduce that inventory in the uh, quarter ahead. Comps, same store sales were down 10 percent year over year overall, uh, especially disappointing when it came to Old Navy, down 15 percent. But a little bit of a glimmer here. comp sales for Banana Republic were actually up 8 percent Percent flagship also was down at Gap, but a little bit of a good news on Banana Republic. Back to you.
2: Yeah, a CEO transition underway. Uh, just, just to add to everything that's taking place, Bertha, thank you so much. Let's get back to our conversation. Uh, Steve, Gabriella, I thought made a good point earlier where, where she suggested that uh, what's happened in the market over the last week has actually helped Powell out, um, leading into. This speech tomorrow in Jackson Hole, and had that not happened, we may hear something a little different than we otherwise might now.
5: Hundred uh, percent, the market has come towards the Fed. You know, Scott, on on the noon show and uh, uh, on this show, there's this debate: who had it right, the Fed or the market? The market has come towards the Fed, and their forecast for three eighty or three point eight percent funds rate. If I could just say a quick word about the consumer from the GDP report, picking up on what Stephanie uh, uh, talked about. She obviously follows that economic data very closely, does a great job of integrating into an investment thesis. The consumer is doing still pretty well. We've had two quarters in a row of positive uh, uh, real consumption or personal consumption expenditures. That's even accounting for the dismal inflation numbers that are out there. In a, And by the way, that comes from services doing really well and goods being down two quarters in a row, which is what you feel when you talk to, you know, some of these other companies that are selling the goods products, they're getting hit. The service companies are picking up the slack there. The other thing we found, Scott, is that from a a nationwide perspective, uh, all companies, public and private, their profits grew very strongly in the second quarter, and the margin, which is uh, corporate profits or percent of GDP, near an all-time high. So companies also finding a way to do better. And I don't know how you integrate that, but it's certainly the Fed wants things slower. Things still are going pretty good, not on the top line of the GDP numbers, Scott, but when you look inside them.
2: Yeah. And that is, uh, Gabriella, one of the issues, right? I know the Fed wants to tighten financial conditions further. It wants to crush demand. So far, it's like the consumer giving the Fed, for the most part, the Heisman uh, on that. And they are have been flush. <laughs> uh, certain parts of the consumer spectrum, obviously, are, are less flush than, than others. But that's been a problem.
3: Yeah. So I think the, the glass half full way to look at the consumer is that the consumer is still spending. On the second quarter GDP, we saw one and a half Uh, seasonally adjusted annual rate of consumption. Um, But the glass half empty way of looking at that is that it was growing two and a half percent in the fourth quarter. So consumption is clearly slowing. In terms of consumption patterns, we're seeing huge shifts. Um, Apparel getting absolutely hammered by spending, uh, goods in general seeing Mm -hmm. a big contraction, and then services still seeing um, some very strong consumption and still operating below average. So you have these areas of consumer spending at very different uh, speeds at the moment. Also big, big focus on uh, discounting, big focus on spending with credit. Uh, So for us, it's really uh, all about uh, not executing this consumer retail theme broadly, um, but much more focusing on pockets of strength. And I mentioned this as as an important thing because we have seen consumer discretionary uh, sector up 20% just this month, and we've been seeing a lot of retail investor flows back into the space. We don't think it's good to be making very generalized bets on the consumer right now.
2: Steph, give me a quick coda for this conversation as we look ahead to that all-important speech from Powell tomorrow.
6: I think the economy is stronger than people think. Inflation is stronger than people think. The Fed has to do what they have to do. They're going to raise rates, but I think the economy for now can handle it. And in fact, earnings have been actually ahead of expectations. And that's very encouraging. That doesn't mean we're not going to start slowing down into 2023. We haven't even heard the effect. We haven't even felt the effects of what the Fed has already done. It takes about six to nine months to get into the economy. So next year is a different ball of wax, but for now, I think as long as earnings hang in there, I think the market is a little choppy and you you use this as opportunities to buy those sectors that I talked about earlier.
2: I love the conversation, guys. Thank you so much for it. Uh, Gabriela Santos here at Post 9, Steph and Steve. Steve, I look forward to seeing you tomorrow uh, throughout the day uh, as we look forward to that speech tomorrow. You have some big interviews coming up uh, as well, and we look forward to all of it. Uh, We have full coverage live from Jackson Hole, as we say. It continues tomorrow right here on CNBC. Don't miss any of it. It's so important uh, that you catch these comments and certainly the commentary and what it all means to the market. Let's get to our Twitter question of the day. Speaking of, we want to know what tone does the Fed chair, Jerome Powell, strike tomorrow in that speech? More hawkish, more dovish? We will see. Head to at CNBC Overtime, place your vote. We'll give you the results later on in our show. Coming up here next, where we are just getting started We have the line in the sand for the Bulls. Top technician Jonathan Krinsky is watching one key level. He's going to tell you exactly what it is because it could be a true test of the recent rally. We're live from the Stock Exchange. That's the New York Stock Exchange. OT is right back.
0: What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com/slash/findyourrich. Edward Jones Member SIPC. People today can spend half their lives over fifty, so it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older like a family vacation Cannonball! or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org All money tools.
2: All right, welcome back to Overtime. The S&P 500 is now at a key technical level after rallying nearly 15% from its June low, that is according to BTIG's chief market technician, Jonathan Krinsky, who joins us now. What was, a, what was the key level that you were watching, which we actually closed above today with this nice little burst into the close? Shed some light for us.
9: Hey, hey Scott. So, uh, you know, today we're watching a shorter term level, the 20-day moving average on the SP 500. Um, it was around 4,186. You know, in the 20 days, a good gauge of short-term trend. Um, if you go back to July 7th, when we first closed above it, um, all the way up until this recent pullback we've had, you only had a couple closes below it in July. Um, and then we went back and failed to hold it on Monday. And then we kind of tested it from the underside today. So closing back above it, I think, is, you know, encouraging news for the Bulls. Um, but I think, you know, if we take a step back and kind of talk a little bit more bigger picture, um, you know, we really talked a lot about that 50% retracement of the S&P, closing above that uh, a couple weeks ago, did kind of conclude that the June lows are probably in. We're, again, we work in probabilities, not certainties, so um, uh-huh. you know, we do think that the June lows are probably in, but the caveat there is that it's not going to be smooth sailing. Um, I think a lot of people just assume once the lows are in that we just you know are up and to the right, and that's really not typical of, of markets um, if you look back throughout history.
2: There's always a caveat, of course. Uh, you are staying cautious. That is the bottom line, regardless of getting over and closing above a key technical level, right?
9: Yeah. Look, there's still a lot of cross currents, a lot of macro headwinds. Um, we saw rates pull back today, but you know the, the move up in rates is is a little um, concerning if that were to, to extend. Remember, uh, the 10-year yield, bo- uh, excuse me, topped two days before the market bottomed in June. So um, there is a you know pretty good correlation there. The dollar continues to be pretty strong, pushing up near 52-week highs. Um, so there's just a lot of cross-currents. Again, I think there's there's reasons to be optimistic. There's there's areas of the market that certainly are acting much better, um, but I don't think it's the you know, pound the table all clear to the upside that um, some people might be looking for.
2: What is it with tech right now? Leave us with that view. Uh, it's such an obvious large part of the S&P 500. A lot of people are in the most marquee of names within this market, which are in that sector. What do I do with it now?
9: Yeah, I think even within tech, you're seeing bifurcation among you know on the stock level. You can see some of the earnings movers from the last couple of days. There's there's clearly some winners and losers. I think if you go all the way to the you know to the top of the top of the pile and look at Apple, though, um, you know it's seven percent of the S and P or so. I think over 13 percent of the Nasdaq. Uh, you know, and that's you know been a stock that outperformed the market throughout much of the correction, the first half of the year, and then actually outperformed again off the market bottom. Um, and so that tells us there's a pretty crowded name when it can act both defensive and offense, offensively. Uh, and we look, we look at something like the spread of Apple relative to its 50-day moving average. It recently got about 16% above that 50-day, which, excluding um, one brief period off the COVID bottom, that's about as wide of a spread as we've seen over the last seven or eight years. So we think Apple is a bit vulnerable or at least, uh, you know, needs further consolidation. And by definition, that means tech broadly is probably, um, you know, needs, needs some consolidation as well.
2: What sector are you most worried about before I let you go?
9: You know, I think the the sector the least risk reward is a sector you probably don't talk about much as utilities. Um, again, that, and this is some of the cross-currents we're talking about. Utilities are typically that defensive safe haven sector, but they actually outperformed the market off the off the June lows. Um, and you look at you look at it across the board, it's stretched pretty much on every metric um, that we look at. So utilities, we think the risk reward is extremely poor here. All right.
2: J.K., appreciate it. That's Jonathan Krinsky, BTIG. We'll talk to you soon. It's Thank time you. for a CNBC News update
10: now with Shepard Smith. Hey, Shep. Hey, Scott. From the news on CNBC, here's what's happening. Parts of the affidavit that led to the FBI search of Mar-a-Lago will be released by noon Eastern time tomorrow. The judge overseeing the case ordering the release in just the past hour after the Department of Justice submitted a redacted version earlier today. The last two working power units at the Zaporizhia nuclear plant in Ukraine, the largest in all of Europe, disconnected from the power grid today. It's the first time that's happened in its 40-year history. Ukrainian officials are blaming fires that were sparked by shelling in the war as Russian troops continue to occupy that plant. According to the UN, the energy supply to the plant was restored later in the day. And another congressional visit to Taiwan, another strongly worded statement from China. Senator Marsha Blackburn arriving there today. Reps for the Chinese embassy in Washington calling the trip proof that the United States is meddling in China's affairs. The Tennessee Republican says visits to Taipei are part of longstanding U.S. policy and that she won't be bullied by China. Tonight, regrets from the front lines of the great resignation, plus guilty pleas in the case of Ashley Biden's stolen diary. And could magic mushrooms hold the key to treating alcoholism? The new study on the news right after Jim Cramer, 7 Eastern, CNBC. Scott, back to you. I right, appreciate it, Shep. Thank you. That's Shepard Smith. We'll see you tonight. Up
2: next, a big breakout for the Bulls. Why bespoke Paul Hickey is seeing serious upside opportunity right now. He's here at Post 9 to make his case right after this break when overtime returns. The S&P tried but failed to break through its 200-day moving average last week. However, our next guest says current market signals are more positive than negative now, and the next attempt should break through. Joining us now right here, Post 9's Bespoke Investment uh, Group co-founder Paul Hickey. It's good to see you. Welcome back to the exchange. Uh, Why is the second time going to be the charm?
11: Well, you know, I think there's a lot of angst in the market right now among investors. of coming. You know, we failed at the 200-day. And then we're coming into the Jackson Hole speech uh, this Friday. And so everyone's you know talking about this is going to be a big bad event. Looking at history, it says, that you you shouldn't focus too much on this. And anyways, I like to, you know, the Fed, like economists and analysts, we're all in this experience right now where we have no idea what's going on and what's going to happen. And we're all going to make mistakes. It's like a, someone going off to college, learning, and you don't know what to do, but you want to rely on someone for info. So we're focusing on the Fed, like we're focusing on Jay down the hall from D.C. or Esther upstairs from uh, Kansas City or Jim from St. Louis. But the, The key is to listen to the market here and i think i think what we saw in this rally off the lows was we saw very strong breath in the market we saw 90 percent of stocks trade above their 50-day moving average Mm -hmm. which is historically 16 times it's happened in the past since 1990 you
2: say that that three and twelve months later uh the s p was higher uh, 15 of those times. 15 of those times. Furthermore, when less than 50% of the stocks were still below their 200-day moving average, the S&P 500 was higher 3, 6, and 12 months later, all three times, with, as you uh, characterized it, uh, massive returns.
11: Right. I mean, you look at the history, it was very strong. And if you even, that's three different periods of those 16, but if you widen yeah. it out to less than two-thirds of stocks above their 200-day moving average, it's... Still, those same very consistent three, six, and 12 months later, higher every time. And sentiment has improved a little bit, but it's still very negative, if you think about it. Uh, we still have the bull bear ratio in invest, investor sentiment, more negative than positive. It's now, the I think, the, oh, close to the second longest streak of negative readings on record. Mm. And then you look at positioning in the, in the Commitment of Traders report. It's the most negative it's been since October 2011, and I mean, it's a long time ago, but remember October 2011, that was a very good time for the markets before in that period. And it's just because we're, it's in this environment where sentiment is washed out, there's very little faith in the market going forward. Well, because the there are too many wild cards, right? I mean, how right. can
2: you expect there to be faith in anything where you have the wild cards of inflation in the Fed? And as you said at the very outset, no one has any idea where any of it's going, really.
11: Right, so the, the key, no one has any idea where it's going but you listen to the message of the market the collective wisdom of the market with this strong breath and the wild cards is i don't think there's ever a time that i remember in the past where the coast was clear you know everyone where i thought oh hey the coast is clear everything's looking like roses and the market did well afterwards i think the last time everyone thought things were going to go well was last november and you know, look where we are now. So this headlines are negative right now, Mm -hmm. but the market was telling us that six months ago. And we, you know, during that period. And I think uh, looking forward, you're seeing this rebound in the market and you're seeing this somewhat easing of credit conditions still tight, but it's somewhat it's moving in the right direction. You, of course, assume that there's no
2: great uh, mismatch between the market and the Fed. Now, today's action, not one day making a whole trend um, clear, but would seem to suggest that the market and the Fed are at least on the same page. Yeah, I, It's a matter of not getting grossly mismatched.
11: Right. I think that's a great point. You got to keep things in balance. And I think there is a balance here. You know, we talk about, oh, there's, the Fed's going to keep hiking, uh, you know, 50 basis points, 50 basis points, 50 basis points through the rest of the year. But everybody, we all know that, you know, so it's priced into the market. And when you heard uh, Harker today talking about, and then maybe take a wait and see approach, the Fed doesn't always have to be Hiking aggressively or cutting aggressively, you can you can just sit back and wait and see how things play out. Um, you know that doing nothing is sometimes a good approach to take. Yeah, and they've already been aggressive,
2: uh, as they would tell you for certain. Uh, thank you. Good to be here. That's Thanks. Paul Hickey uh, again with Bespoke joining us here at Post Nine in overtime. Still ahead, fueling up on the energy trade. One halftime committee members making a big bet on an $18 billion natural gas company. We debate that in today's halftime overtime. And don't forget, you can catch us on the go by following the Closing Bell podcast on your favorite podcast app. Overtime is back right after this. In today's halftime overtime, gearing up for more gains in the energy trade. Steve Weiss making a new buy in his portfolio this morning, adding the natural gas company EQT. Listen.
1: I continue to believe that natural gas prices are going to accelerate. This one's not that well-known, not that small market cap at $18 billion, but I think it's got a lot of upside here, and so that's why I bought it. I think it'll be an intermediate-term trade. As you know, I don't think energy is investable over the long term, and I think history has proved that out. But I think over the next six months or so, this stock could do very well.
2: All right, that was Steve Weiss. This is Hightower's Stephanie Link who is back with us. What do you make of this move? I mean, even if you don't own this particular name, just this idea of believing that certain parts in particular of energy are going to continue to go up.
6: Yeah, I mean there have been structural changes within the industry, right? And we've talked about it all year long. Companies in general are producing less, and they're returning more cash to shareholders. These companies are minting money. In addition, you have the SPR in October going away, right? And so, and then also OPEC Plus is thinking about cutting production. So add it all up, and the supply side of the equation is actually getting tighter and tighter, and it will get even tighter, right? So, um, and, and and the companies are doing the right things in terms of buybacks and dividends and special dividends and all that. So EQT, I mean, it, it's not as well known, but the stock is up 126% year to date. That said, it's trading at 13 times earnings. And I mentioned cash and they're expected to ha- to grow cash $22 billion between 2022 and 2027. Uh, that's larger than their market cap at 16 billion. So mm. they have ample flexibility to lower debt and that sort of thing. I don't own it. I own, you know, I own uh, a lot yeah, of other names, got- Chevron. You
2: do, it, you do uh, yeah. ones that- Including ones that are up a lot, right? Oxy's up 156% year to date. But of the ones you own, right? Chevron, Diamondback, Occidental, Slumbers, why don't you own a more pure play nat gas company? Why are you playing the, the crude part of commodities more so than that? Yeah
6: yeah i mean look i I mean chevron is diversified you definitely get gas exposure there right and i just feel like the natural gas names are up a lot more than the crude names right so um and uh, look i mean you you mentioned oxy's up a lot but it also trades at five times earnings right so i mean i think that there's better value elsewhere i'm not saying that uh, natural gas uh, and being exposed there is a bad thing i just i feel like i missed it and i'm getting it through other ways
2: oh i got you okay uh fair enough Steph, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for hanging around. That's Stephanie Link uh, back with us again from High Tower. Up next, we're tracking some big stock moves in overtime. Steve Kovac is standing by with all of that action. What do you have on deck for us?
7: Yeah, Scott, got a lot coming up for you. We got one technology name that failed to marvel investors after hours. And dude, you're getting a PC maker falling after earnings. And look, I'm not making this up. Things are looking beautiful to one popular name tonight. All that when Closing Bell Overtime returns after this.
2: We're back in overtime. Another check on shares there of a firm. The stock is getting crushed in overtime after that larger than expected loss last quarter. You see the stock's down about 14% now. Not the only big mover. In fact, in overtime, Steve Kovac tracking that action for us, Steve. Yeah, that's right, Scott. We got three big movers
7: here in overtime for you. Let's kick things off with the stock shooting higher, Cloud Vendor Workday, up better than 12%. The company with a small beat on both lines while reaffirming full year guidance. However, the guide is not comparable to estimates because of subscription revenues. Shares are up a whopping 26% in the past month. Meanwhile, Dell shares dropping right now in overtime, the computer maker with a slight beat on earnings, but revenue coming in short of analyst estimates. The company's COO saying they observe more cautious customer behavior as the quarter progressed, Dell down about 21% so far this year. And let's end with a consumer name, Ulta, with a move higher. The beauty store chain beating estimates handily, posting a $5.70 EPS number on revenue of $2.3 billion. That compares to estimates of $5 EPS and $2.21 billion revenue expected. CEO Dave Kibble pointing to the, quote, strong emotional connection guests have to the brand for how it plans to remain strong against some softening in the consumer. Those are your overtime movers, Scott. I'll send it back to you. All
2: right, Steve Kobach, appreciate it very much. Thank you. Up next, a double dose of semi-picks, one money manager getting bullish on that sector. We'll tell you the top names they are betting on in our two-minute drill next. It's time now for our two-minute drill. Let's bring in Dory Wiley, CEO of Commerce Street Capital. It's good to see you. Welcome back. Uh, Your first pick is right in the conversation I was just having with Stephanie Link looking at what natural gas prices are doing, right? There are I think, 933 the last I checked. PXD, that's your pure play. Why?
4: Sure. PXD may be the best buy in the whole stock market. Uh, we all know the energy play here, but the Uh, pioneer being in the Permian, their strong position. You got a stock that could double in the next two years. Trade's really cheap. And they pay you 14 percent dividend while you wait. Why wouldn't why wouldn't anyone have that in their portfolio unless they have ESG issues?
2: Okay, I'll I'll give you that. I'll give you that. But I look at your next picks and I'm like, okay, Micron and Lamb Research, you know, cyclical tech is certainly a question here with questions about where the economy is going from here. Why do you like both of those names?
4: That's exactly why I like it. It's a little eh right now, right? Everyone's a little (laughs) soft on semiconductors. Those are two really, really strong companies. Micron trading really cheap. Uh, Lamb with their position in the marketplace. Now you got the new bill comes out by Congress really supporting them. And the market hasn't bounced back yet. The market doesn't believe it yet. Those two strong companies are very strong and here to stay in a good position. It's a good time to buy them.
2: SBNY next and last. Signature Bank. Talk to us.
4: Signature bank. Watch the banks. Banks do really well, especially commercial banks as rates rise or margin starts to expand. Commercial bank has a niche in the marketplace in grabbing deposits through being the first bank in the country to have blockchain in their system. I'm not talking crypto, I'm talking blockchain for payments. And they do really good and they do it business to business, business to business by using a company called Tasset, and they're the first company to do it. It's oversold down on the bottom side. It's a good time to buy. All right.
2: I love the conviction. Dory, we'll see you soon. Thanks so much. That's Dory you Wiley joining us there in overtime in our two-minute drill. Up next, Santoli is back with his last word. Mike Santoli is back in overtime. Oh, you know, we have to do the results of our Twitter. I got so excited about that. All right. The Twitter question, the results. What tone does Fed share Jerome Powell strike in tomorrow's speech from Jackson Hole? Seventy five percent of you saying more hawkish. saying more dovish. Now Santoli is here to play off this anyway. We might just make
1: it through this unscathed. Eye of the beholder stuff. More hawkish than what is the real question. I I suppose people feel more hawkish than we've heard recently or more hawkish perhaps than Powell himself was at the prior press conference. Very much unclear. I think they want to lay out this somewhat longer-term framework that says, sure, whenever we we get done with the rate hikes, it's in sight. Then we're just going to be, you know, steady for a while, plateau on hold. I think the market has kind of pre-digested a lot of that idea, which probably explains why uh, there was kind of a benign market Mm. reaction today.
2: Yeah. Gabriela Santos, who you you may have heard earlier, um, suggested, and and I think rightly so, and Leisman sort of backed this up. The markets obviously helped Powell out This, this pullback that we got since the runaway rally.
1: It's a a gift to him. It has. It squelched the idea that financial conditions had basically gotten too overexcited and too loose in the interim since the last Fed meeting so that he would feel compelled to sort of try to unwind that. Look, I think financial conditions are tools. They're not the goal themselves. I keep saying that they're not the target, but it, it is better that the, that the two-year note is at 3.4% again. Mm-hmm. It's pretty much where it was at the highs. That tells you it recognizes the Fed has more to do.
2: We don't get away from the needle threading, though, that still exists for Powell and company. I mean, it's, it is what it is, and it's right. going to be that
1: way for a long time. It is, and, and frankly, he's not probably going to say that the soft landing that is the magical, hoped-for result is in the bag, right? He's, from the beginning, said soft-ish landing maybe. Um, and, you know, Steve has asked everybody so far... Does it matter if we're in a recession or about to enter one? Does that matter to your policy path? And they keep saying not so much Mm. because inflation is the sole effective mandate at the moment. Speaking of things that either matter or they don't, does 50 or
2: 75 matter for September? I don't think so.
1: Um, I don't think it matters very much. At this point, I think there might be a reflex negative reaction if it's 75 out of the blue when the market's priced more for 50. But I don't because I don't think it necessarily changes the total number of quarter point moves mm-hmm. that we're looking at before things uh, stop for a while.
2: What about technically speaking? We had a couple on today, you know, whether it was Krinsky. Yeah. You know, we got above a, a key level. We closed above, you know, uh, that level there. Paul Hickey suggesting next time we bang up against the 200-day, we're actually likely to go through, which we banged our head and fell down last time.
1: Exactly. Um, I don't think anybody would have expected the market to go from that kind of a low, straight and slice up through a 200-day average that's declining and all the rest of it. So I believe both of those points, Krinsky saying, look, V bottoms are not the norm, and so you shouldn't necessarily expect a race back to the highs. I happen to agree with Paul, and I've been making this case, Mm. that there is still skepticism, and that is somewhat comforting at this stage.
2: There is some belief, just to end on a, a stock that everybody likes to talk about, Apple, as yep. Krinsky said, is maybe set up for some weakness here. I have a
1: hard time believing that that happens and the market is just fine. Its outperformance has become extreme. I think the ideal possibility is it cools off a little bit. It doesn't necessarily reverse sharply and see if the market can handle that. All right. So we had a whole bunch of Fed speakers today. It obviously culminates tomorrow morning
2: uh, with Powell and then the rubber's going to hit the road. <laughs> We're going to see yeah. how everything happens. We'll see, see you then. What's really All right. Mike yeah. Santoli, last word. Fast money's now.